Hey, this is Evan Phillips from Anchorage, Alaska. You're listening to The Fern Line. Alaska, the highest concentration of big, remote mountains in North America. For generations, a unique group of climbers have tested themselves in these vast alpine arenas. The Chugach, St. Elias, the Hayes, Neocola, the Kachatnas, the Revelations. Their stories are etched on high alpine walls. Their visions follow lines of cold gray ice. What inspires them? What makes them come back? Who survives? Who suffers? These are the stories we'll tell on season one of The Fern Line. Hey friends, I'm Evan Phillips, and you're listening to The Fern Line, a podcast about the lives of mountain climbers. On season one, I'm chatting with alpinists and other outdoor enthusiasts who are pushing the limits of what's possible in Alaska's mountains. My goal is to have meaningful conversations with an extraordinary group of people, the folks who choose to live full-value lifestyles in one of the most beautiful and wild regions on the planet. All right, well, it's great to be back with you today. Before we get started, I just want to touch on a few things. As always, I want to thank the Alaska Rock Gym for sponsoring season one of The Fern Line. The Alaska Rock Gym has been providing quality indoor climbing in Anchorage since 1995. They have a new facility which sports 20,000 square feet of climbing, plus an entire floor of bouldering terrain. They have beautiful locker rooms and expanded cardio fitness and yoga rooms as well. So if you're looking to do some indoor climbing in South Central Alaska, make sure to visit the Alaska Rock Gym or check them out online at alaskarockgym.com. If you want to support the Fern Line, there's a few ways you can help out. You can review the podcast on iTunes or from within your favorite podcast app. Reviews are a great way to let a potential listener know that the podcast is a quality listening experience. Other ways you can help out are by following the Fern Line on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, sharing episodes on social media, or simply by telling someone directly. Word of mouth is the best way to get information out there, and it also helps promote the grassroots vibe I'm going for. So make sure you tell a friend. If you want to get in touch, you can email me directly at thefernline at gmail.com. I get emails just about every week from listeners, and I have to say I really enjoy connecting with folks that way. So please keep getting in touch, keep giving me feedback on the show, and please continue saying hello. All right. So with that, it's time to grab your favorite beverage and get cozy on your couch or camp chair and settle in for this episode of The Fern Line. People in my life that are uh, acquaintances today, and and the and the people in my in my life that are really good friends that I've known forever, almost all of them uh, stemmed uh, initially from climbing relationships.
On today's episode, we'll get to know legendary Alaskan alpinist Carl Tobin. With an alpine climbing career that has spanned over 40 years, Tobin continues to be a force in Alaska's climbing community to this day. In the late 1970s and early 80s, Tobin, with a small group of friends, completed a number of first ascents in Alaska's Hayes Range, including the west face of Hess Mountain, the northeast face of Peak 10910, and a historic ascent on the east ridge of Mount Deborah. These climbs set the standard for hard alpine climbing in Alaska, and in doing so, inspired generations of climbers to come. This last spring, I sat down with Carl at his home in Anchorage to talk about his early days in Fairbanks and the whirlwind years in the mountains that followed. Carl seemed wistful that day as he recounted his years spent climbing in Alaska, the Canadian Rockies, and the Himalaya. But it wasn't just the climbing that had him thinking. It was also the important relationships he'd forged along the way. One of those relationships was shared with another force in the climbing world in the 1980s, a South African transplant and Canadian Rockies legend named Dave Cheesemond. Oh, well, I first met him uh, in Fairbanks uh, in 81. I think there were five of them. They were all South Africans. Dave had moved to Canada at the time. So these four guys from uh, SA flew over and they came up to uh, Alaska uh, to climb the east ridge of Mount Deborah. And uh, fortunately for me, they failed spectacularly, uh, <laughs> not, not because of anything to do with them per se, but their plan had a, a bit of a flaw. It could have worked great. They were trying to save money. So they, they hiked into the uh, call between Deborah and Hess uh, from the highway, and their plan was to get an airdrop on the call, <laughs> and they never got the airdrop. Yeah. You know, the weather, it was, it was 82, actually, and the weather was, uh, that was a bad year. And no one could ever uh, put the drop there. And they walked out, and they were they were starving almost. You know, I bet. Dave said, "I keep wondering if this is the one lie that I really know he ever said." But you know, I believe him. I guess they set a tent up in a little small tundra stream and chased Grayling into it and zipped the tent up. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were so hungry. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like a fish trap to me, uh, uh, but he's dead, so a fishing game can't do much about it. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And uh, I- anyway, uh, when he came out from that trip, maybe when he was coming up to Fairbanks or something, he he was driving up. There was a guy in Fairbanks named uh, um, Dick Flaherty, uh, and, and Dick, uh, you know, uh, has a company that makes bike pogies and over boots for mushers and you know and he was sewing a bunch of climbing gear then somehow uh uh apocalypse design the company i don't know maybe you've okay. heard of it yeah, and, yeah. Uh, i don't know if dick was living at the sambic house which was a sort of climber slop house that doug buchanan kind of was the house mother of and, and uh, but i met cheese there because uh, he and his wife jillian had come up with him and so they they slept there either before or after and so I met him uh, there, and somehow we, we stayed in touch. Okay, so um, what was the first climb of any significance that you did with Dave? East Ridge of Deborah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so how I did think, that... I uh, think my friend JR, uh, and I picked him up at the airport here. Like, I came down to Fairbanks, or from Fairbanks, and we picked him up at the airport, and JR gave us a ride to Telkeetna and dropped us off. Okay. And you guys flew in from Telkeetna? Yeah. And there were uh, four British had flown in a week earlier to do the same route. Were you surprised? We were disappointed like shit, yeah. yeah. And, and Dave just goes, well, let's go do the second ascent. And so we flew in, and, and the Brits were uh, lollygagging. They were too impressed by Alaska ridges, I guess. <laughs> and yeah. It's an impressive ridge for sure, but, but they were great climbers. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the climb. I mean, obviously the East Ridge of Deborah is, I guess, mythical would be a well, word for it. But thanks be- to, to uh, some good writing by Dave Roberts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really. When you flew in there and you kind of got under the ridge and saw it, what, what was going through your guys' mind? I don't, I don't know what was going through uh, Cheeseman's mind, but he acted pretty happy. And <laughs> I was just all over, you know, uh, um, 
looking at the ridge and wanting to get on with it. Uh, there were very few moments of doubt. Uh, I can't remember who wrote that article. It was uh, David Roberts. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah it was, that's the title of his yeah. article. <laughs> yeah. Moments of doubt. Yeah. I'm um, sure the, the phrase has been used elsewhere too. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll talk about the, the climbing on that. Has it, has it, has it been done since? Um, no. And, uh, I, I'm, it should be a route that people would go to and enjoy if they want to climb at that level. I, I never saw it as, uh, anything but just, a, a pretty safe, technically hard route. And the, and the rock is, um, the rock that we had to climb which was on this, uh, you know, where the ridge kind of runs into this wall. It wasn't a crumbly choss bullshit. You know, it was, it was really good mixed climbing, really hard mixed climbing. But you were able to protect it good enough to convince yourself to get up or to get up it. Yeah. 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 I think the, I would say the crux pitch was, uh, led by Dave and, uh, you know, he did a good job on it. There are places probably you wouldn't want to fall because it'd be a long fall, but uh, it was well protected. Stuff like that. And did you guys team up with that British team, or how did how did that work? Out? Um, no, we didn't team up with them. Uh, actually, uh, we, we found them to be a bit of a hindrance uh, on our first day of climbing for sure, and our second, uh, because they they were fixing the route. And, and we wanted nothing to do with fixed lines, so we'd be climbing fairly difficult pitches with a rope hanging there, and we'd be you know moving it aside with our axe to take a swing and stuff. But uh, you know, by the time we got up to the real cruxes of the climb, uh, they seemed pretty convinced to quit fixing, or they were going to miss out on. On the ascent, really. Yeah. So you weren't climbing together with them. You no, no, but of... we bivy. We 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 didn't always bivy together either. But um, uh, I would say in the first half of the route, the first day, uh, Cheese and I passed them. They were cave in the call, and had were fixing out from there. And uh, Cheese and I came up uh, in the night, but we had done our airdrop on the call, so they knew we were there. Actually, they gathered our boxes up. Nice. That was nice of them. We crawled into their cave about two or three a.m. and uh, in the in the box that we dropped, one of them had a note to them that said, uh, "Don't worry, we're just going to climb Hess because oh, yeah. we didn't want to freak them out and have them like you know because we knew we had some ground to cover to get up to the call and uh, and and so you know we didn't want to like lose out on the first thing. <laughs> so we lied we lied to them and uh, we crawled funny. in the cave and told them we were going to East Ridge too and. And we just said the, the note was kind of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, John well, Barry goes, we're not amused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did it go okay, like having to kind of share that experience with yeah, them? Yeah, it went okay. You know, I think yeah. we had uh, a great time together. Good. You know, really enjoyed our time together. And um, five people made the first ascent. And then, yeah. uh, you know, Dave and I stayed in there and uh, did a new route on Hayes. Uh, afterwards so we were we were in for the long haul you know uh cool and what what route did you guys do on Hayes? Uh, a line on the west face that hadn't been done nothing real hard a couple of uh, hard pitches at the top you know there's always vertical rhyme or you know hanging overhanging serac at the top of something in alaska especially up to a plateau like between the two summits of Hayes. Yeah. It was it was a treat to ski over there and do that and then ski out with Dave. So you and Dave skied out of the haze after that. Yeah, we had a raft, so we floated out to the um, Susitna River Bridge. What was that trip like for you, like in general, as far as just like your relationship with Dave and? Well, I, you know, it 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 brought us together for sure. You know, we enjoyed each other's company and climbed well together and laughed at each other's jokes and had had a good time. You know. Yeah. I don't really know much about him, but what were some of the qualities about him that I guess it really kind of attracted you or that you just well, kind of dug? Well, he's, well, he, he technically he, he was uh, a really, really good climber. And I have always wanted to be a really, really good climber. And so uh, it kind of got inspired with him when I first met him, uh, I think. But he is uh, cheery. 
You know, and I would say cherry to a fault, but you can't be cherry to a fault. A very good thinker, had a good intellect. You know, he was fun to talk to in bivvies, uh, you know, about interesting shit. Strong as an ox, you know, just, uh, I think he could post hole uh, from here to Mars. Really. <laughs> it comes down to it. Not much of a skier. Never, never cared to be. Which is uh, useful because skiing can get in the way of climbing sometimes, I suppose. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, didn't like South Africa very much. That's why he left. Uh, supposedly that's why he left. That's what he told me. You know, he got kicked out of a climbing club uh, in Durban where he was once for climbing with a black guy. So, you know, he didn't have much of a good opinion of his, of his country. You know, it was during apartheid when he lived there. And he had dual citizenship. He was uh, half British, I guess. So he, he didn't have much trouble moving to Canada. After that trip, um, what was your uh, partnership with Dave like moving forward from that? And, and what was the next trip or series of climbs you guys did? Less than a year later, in, in March, I went to uh, Canada. And uh, the day after I flew into Calgary, it was an interesting uh, arrival in, in Calgary, uh, Dave's wife, Jillian, came to the airport and picked me up. And uh, I got detained at the airport there for like hours. I was on a bus from Vancouver to um, Seattle less than a year earlier because I just sailed into Vancouver and I had to get, wanted to come back to Alaska. I was going to fly back from uh, Seattle. And uh, I had some weed on, on the boat in Hawaii and Customs had my f- two fellow boat crew members and me uh, into their office for a long talk. And somehow that got on my record. So when I reentered, after sailing to Vancouver, I reentered uh, the States and I got pulled off the bus there and, and given the fifth degree for hours by customs. And, and so when I flew to Calgary, <clears throat> somehow coming back into the country, uh, they saw something on my record and pulled me aside. And so that night, you know, Jillian had to wait at the airport for like hours for me to clear. And the, the next morning we... Uh, with Barry Blanchard, um, skied into east face of Mount Fay, which turned out to be a really wild, fun, uh, and very epic time because of the weather. Yeah. It was the first ascent, too. It was a great climb. Yeah, let's, let's talk <clears throat> about it. Walk me up that climb. It... Um, yeah, there were uh, lots of hard, thin ice pitches. Mixed pitches, and Dave just shown on mixed pitches. And I, know, I remember the first hard ice pitch we did, it was Barry's lead. And he gets on this little curtain, and, you know, Barry's pretty young. He was a good climber, but... And, and, uh, and he got on some ground, and he yelled down to Dave and I, any suggestions? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I remember on one pitch, you know, I was, like, running out of uh, options myself. And, and I think, you know, in my later years, whatever those options were, I probably could have found. But, you know, I was just... I was on this little pillar and I was like out there and uh, there was a little gully over to me. And I, I remember saying to Dave and Barry, said, I'm going to jump. <laughs> yeah. And I just saw, I saw some landing. I spotted some landing off to the side in this little corner that I thought I could hit. And I, I fucking hit it. <laughs> and I set up a belay and uh, brought a more competent climber over. <laughs> uh, that's really funny but, but that trip was uh was uh, a great uh trip because um you know we planned a night on the route but the biggest storm of the winter hit while we were on the face and uh, we spent three nights on it you know and it was just snowing hard the whole time it was uh, and and steep climbing so we weren't in danger of getting wiped off the face there was no catchment once you're off the face you're down on the north face you know other side right away yeah, it was just hard. We we managed to find, uh, you know, the Canadian Rockies are great because they've got that strata. And if you can find a place where there's an overhanging piece of strata, there's usually uh, a lot of steep faces you can find a place to cave in. And so we, we had a cave every night, which was useful. Had you ever climbed with Barry before that trip? No, I had just met him. Cool. So, so it sounds like it was a... A really memorable, yeah, well, pretty it, natural fit of like yeah, three it, dudes it, getting together. It was, you know, I, I didn't climb with him again though until uh, 2001. 
so you guys made it down from Mount Fay when you're in Canada on that trip. Did you? What else did you do in Canada on that um, trip? Let's see. Well, I did. Uh, I did some climbing with Kevin Doyle. You know, I did some things like um, uh, Weeping Wall with uh, Kevin Doyle. I don't know. I did a route on uh, Yamnuska. That same trip. You know, it was March, so you know Yamnuska is south facing. Warren did some rock climbing. Uh, Grand Central Couloir. I did that with Dave. I guess to kind of wrap up the the conversation about um, Dave, what. Did you guys continue to climb together after that, or? Um, we had plans, you know. I mean, he, he uh, after that '84 trip, yeah, you're bringing back some sequences that I uh, sort of overlook here. That next fall, I uh, had an a- avalanche accident in the uh, Haze Range in early September, and it really uh, beat me up badly. And I didn't alpine climb again. I did some ice climbing for a few years after that, and then then took a hiatus altogether. But I didn't alpine climb again until somewhat later all right so what so dave ended up dying on was it mount logan yeah he was uh, trying to do the hummingbird ridge with uh, Catherine freer and i was in finland working on a research project uh, way in the north and i don't know uh you know i was had some email contact so uh somehow it wasn't too much longer after he died that i, I heard he had died yeah there i mean it sounds like probably but by that point in time like you'd experienced Probably you'd had some friends that had, pe- that had passed away, but was it any different for you to deal with that? Well, he, I mean, Dave? we were quite close, you know, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was different, you know, it, it, it impacted me way over there in Finland, you know, I probably took a long mountain bike ride or hike or, uh, maybe didn't do a lot of work that day or something. Uh, you know, I was a long ways away. I didn't attend, uh, any memorial service that they might have had, I imagine, you know, he was a force in Calgary, Dave was, and it would have been a big loss uh, to uh, a, a number of communities there, I think, not just the climbing community. Yeah. Kind of knowing that he's still like an inspiration to people. I mean, you've probably already touched on it, but like when you think about him, think about the time that you got to spend with him, what do you most remember about him? Um... <laughs> yeah, just just his uplifted nature. I mean, uh, I can't. Um, I mean, I, I can hear uh, alarm or concern in his voice in my uh, auditory memories, but I can never. I don't have a picture of him with, without a smile on his face in, in my uh, visual memories. You know, uh, I don't know. His saying was, uh, you know, yeah, man. Uh, real South African, yeah, man, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> that was one thing he would always say, you know, no matter what was going on. He sounds like he 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 was just one of those people that you kind of would want to be around. Yeah, you know, he just made you made made you feel good. Yeah, yeah, competent uh, at, at activities he did, but just you know, just at living in general. Yeah, and, and, and with a positive outlook. The early 1980s were prolific times for Carl in Alaska and Canada. But North America's mountains weren't the only hills he had his sights on. And in the fall of 1983, he and Dave Cheeseman joined an American group of climbers that would eventually make the monumental first ascent on the east face of Mount Everest. I asked Carl to talk about some of the characters on that trip and the lessons he learned along the way. interesting trip you know that that 1983 Everest trip it was a great trip in my life even though you know I didn't summit it um that year was a a special year for me anyway because you know I started climbing with Dave Cheeseman and both of those trips are high and Cheeseman came on Everest uh as well because because of me you know I I, uh, 
asked him to come with the approval of other people. Um, so is this after you had done Deborah with Dave? Yeah, exactly. Um, Deborah in the spring and Everest in the fall. And uh, in 81, I was my first trip to Yosemite in 1981. Um, first two trips. So I was there in the spring and climbing. You know, I, I figured if you're a climber, you got to go to Yosemite. You know, you really do. If you're a, if you're a climber in North America, you, you got to go there because uh, you learn so much there. You know, it's not like you got to go climb El Cap. It's just like you go climb El Cap. Uh, you'll be a better climber if you've never climbed El Cap. And you're kind of maybe not totally together on that sort of ground. Yeah. Uh, so, so I felt I had to go there. And uh, while I was there, um, there was a, a, a trip going to, to the East Face of Everest to do the first ascent. Mostly San Franciscans. Uh, and, and the second trip in 83 after the 81 trip failed, was had the same core of people. <clears throat> and I wanted to go on the 81 trip and was in Yosemite. I was calling people up. Like I called the leader. It was Lou Reichart was the leader of the, of the 81 trip. And uh, he said, well, come on over to the Bay Area and uh, meet some of us. So I, you know, hitchhiked over there, and, uh, you know, had a discussion with him in his office at the San, University of San Francisco Medical School where he's a, still a faculty member. Um, and Dan Reed, uh, you know, he, I, I stayed with him a little bit at, at his house. He was another member of the trip. Uh, and George Lowe lived in Sunnyvale. So I went to George's house. Uh, he was a pilot and flew down to Joshua Tree and with another couple, Chris Jones and uh, Chris's wife, Sharon. But we climbed in Joshua Tree for a weekend and uh, George and I hit it off quite nicely, but um, ended up... Uh, uh, not not going, you know. They didn't have room for me on the trip or something. And they, uh, fortunately for me, they went over there and, and failed. Um, <clears throat> for some reason, uh, I can't really quite understand. Maybe it's the weather or whatever. But they they climbed the the hardest part of the route was the first third. I mean, it was very hard. Part. Talking about the east face. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the first third of the route is um, just an incredible climbing adventure you know, wild climbing. Yeah. And then you get up on these snow slopes and if, if there's no avalanche danger, you, you know, the best slogger gets to the top. Um, so they failed and uh, called me up in 83 and asked if I wanted to go back. And I said, sure, yeah, go. Okay. And so talk about that trip. How, how did it go? Uh, I look back on it with extreme satisfaction and it didn't take me too long to look back on it with extreme satisfaction, but uh, I frost bit my feet a little bit below 8,000 meters. Not badly, but I mean, I could feel them. Uh, I could feel myself losing my, feeling my toes and stuff on a, on a carry one day. And, uh, you know, I had, some, I had some boot problems and had some, maybe some foot problems stemming from the, the years climbing, uh, the toll it took on my toes a little bit. So it was obvious I wasn't going to uh, go to the summit, and uh, it was kind of devastating to me. And I think, you know, Cheeseman, who was along uh, as well, he got uh, a little bit of uh, rails and, uh, you know, uh, a little edema. So, you know, he went all the way down the base camp. Uh, you know, that means by himself wrapping down the 4,000-foot face we had, we had fixed some lines on. So I mean, it's incredible uh, rappel. One foot, one section's like seven or eight hundred feet, and it's completely overhanging. Wow! So it, it was a great climbing <laughs> adventure getting through that all, that whole deal. And the rest of it's pretty much just as hard. It's a, it's a wild piece of a mountain. Too bad that the summit wasn't at the top of that face. Yeah. You know, both of us had had this. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for Dave, um, but it was a, to me. It was uh, this sense of you know, complete failure if I didn't go to the summit. That was, even though I was, you know, pushing 30 at the time, uh, almost 30 years old, you know, maybe should have been mature enough to handle it. But, you know, failure is, uh, <clears throat> failure should hurt you. Because uh, it's one uh, force that keeps you from not failing, it is trying to avoid it as hard as possible because, uh you're, you know, you don't think of it as trying to, what you think of it as trying to get to a summit, but, uh, 
yeah, um, not accepting failure is, is, is part of being a good mountaineer, and uh, I think, and also kind of dangerous sometimes. But uh, the trip itself, in retrospect, from, from here and from quite some time ago, was one of the best ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it couldn't have been better. So, like, if, if when you think back on that trip, like, what was the most important thing that, that you took away from it? Um, the, the relationships yeah. uh, with the team. Who in particular? Oh, well, um, well, Dan Reed was one of them. You know, he's, he is uh, dead now. Uh, and Cheeseman, of course. You know, I climbed with him uh, after the trip, too. You know, we did some really uh, cool, wild uh, stuff in the Canadian Rockies. I went there for a few weeks uh, the following spring and uh, climbed with Dave and Oh, Kevin Doyle, Barry Blanchard, you know, uh, just had a hoot of a time uh, climbing new routes and old standard huge Canadian ice routes and alpine routes and this, that, and the other. Um, so that that was great. Uh, I, I think just uh, seeing uh, seeing some of the people on the trip uh, who weren't climbing bums like me or Carlos <laughs> at the time, you know, Carlos Peeler, he, we were the two real climbing bums on the trip, you know. I would say. And, uh, you know, Cheese was a civil engineer, had a family, and this, that, and the other. Uh, you know, there were, like, two cardiac surgeons on the trip. Uh, Lou Reichardt, who, you know, maybe he'll get a Nobel someday. Uh, you know, <laughs> doctors and lawyers and such, you yeah. know. And uh, it, it pointed out to me that uh, you, you didn't have to be... Uh, a climbing bum to be a climber. But up until that point, you were... Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I wasn't looking for a career other than, uh, you know, begging for pennies to climb. I think that's a, it's pretty normal for a, for somebody who's really kind of gets the fire of kind of climbing in them to be... That's how, I mean, that's how I was, too. It was yeah, just it, yeah. it was everything. Yeah. yeah. Was, was, and sometimes that, that works out, you know, uh, if if you're uh, uh, good at planning climbs and uh, doing uh, important climbs and um, yeah. can write and uh, work with people. Uh, and, and maybe, um, you know, a few Alaskans have done that, but I think it's easier to do if you live in lower 48. By the mid-1990s, and with a Ph.D. in tow, Carl accepted a teaching position at Alaska Pacific University. But climbing was never far from his mind, and it was during this time that he developed a strong partnership with Northeast climber Joe Teravecchia. The duo would go on to complete a number of climbs in Alaska and Canada, but the high point was definitely a trip up Mount Hunter's Moonflower Buttress. Joe, uh, tremendous climber, Joe is, you know. Uh, yeah, God, he emailed me a couple years ago about almost uh, um, sending a, uh, like a 5'4". He's, he's like way high 5'13", you know, 5'14". He's, he's a good climber, like really technically adept. Uh, always has been, super strong guy. But, you know, he had this alpine thing going on in his life. You know, he did the East Buttress of Denali once a long time ago, and... This, that, and the other. And uh, when I met him, it was in Yosemite. And uh, we just hit it off, and we didn't climb together. But uh, we did uh, meet. You know, we had this plan where when I was driving to take this job in Anchorage in 96, uh, he was climbing the Tetons, and I picked him up there. And we drove to the Rockies and, uh, you know, stayed at... Uh, 
uh, berries and uh, just climbed a, a hoot uh, of stuff. Rock climbing, mostly, and some alpine climbing, you know. Uh, that's when we did Andromeda Strain, and uh, which had one of the scariest exits of a route I've ever had in my life. How so? <laughs> um, well, it's this uh, snow slope up to a big cornice, which, you know, and so we were moving together at the top of the route with no pro in, and then I got to this big cornice, you know, eight, nine feet above me, overhanging, and I had to go through it. Uh, using axe shafts on way steep ground tunneling and uh, at one point you know with no pro between Joe and I if I'd fallen off we'd have gone all the way down the strain and uh, then at one point you know I was, got stuck and I go you know, we had two ropes and I said Joe I gotta pull up another axe so he, <laughs> he brought one of his axes up <laughs> you know because you wanted like you know how hard it is to get a, a solid shaft and vertical snow it takes a lot of work and uh god it was so wonderful to roll over onto the fucking flat top of mountain dromeda yeah it felt like yeah yeah <laughs> got away with something so yeah joe joe and i uh, um the moonflower was I, i'm trying to remember you know who, whose idea that was his, his or mine but it seemed like god everyone should want to go climb the moonflower what it's the nose of el cap you know in terms of the local mountains near the landing strip there yeah everyone should do it it's a wonderful climb yeah it, well it sounds like it's getting climbed quite a bit these days god, yeah you know I, I i guess yeah you know the caveat to that is uh you can fly in to do it and never get a chance to get on it is what it sounds like you know yeah. or, or you got to be uh k- kind of uh, aggressive yeah, I, w- I wish I could have tried it. It, it. I mean, it just sounds, God. if you get the conditions right, it just sounds oh. stunning. Oh, and what a, what a place to, uh, you know, ha- hang out in a bivouac. That's one reason to go slow, so you can bivy on it. And, you know, looking over straight at the south face of Denali and, you know, just a wonderful place. Yeah. Since we're talking about doing the, the North Buttress of Mount Hunter, what are a couple things from that climb with Joe that really stand out to you? Um, well, you know, it, you know, climbing with someone's all about the relationship with them. And, uh, again, you know, it was, we had a hoot, you know, uh, there was another party on the route. Interestingly, you know, when, when we got there, there were two parties on the route. Now, one party bailed and one party kept going, but we caught them quite quickly and then we could never shake them. You know how you can inspire people or be inspired if someone catches you on a... So uh, those guys, a guy named Charlie Townsend and uh, guys from um, New Hampshire, you know, we always, we could talk to each other in bivvies, you know. It, it was kind of interesting how they sped up a lot when Joe and I got there. So it wasn't just a climb with Joe and me, although uh, both teams climbed independently. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh, Joe's a real confident climber, but uh, it's it's all about social relationships, and we just had a grand time together. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like you know sometimes you go out on a trip, and it's you know this this is not the right match for me. You know, uh, the older you get, the better you are at maybe uh, radaring in on those good matches, uh, or the more experience you get, not the older necessarily, but. Uh, yeah, I'd go anywhere with Joe Teravecchia. Although Carl and his friend Barry Blanchard stayed in touch over the years, they never climbed again after their 1984 ascent on the east face of Mount Fay. That is, until 2001. That summer, the team flew into the Kehiltna Glacier, where they would eventually make the third ascent of the infinite spur on Mount Foraker. I asked Carl to talk about that experience and what it was like to reunite with Barry after all those years. I wanted to ask you about the the trip you did on Foraker with with Barry. It's interesting because I didn't know that you, know, you guys had done this what I would consider to be a pretty monumental climb on the east face of uh, Fay. 
you know, especially considering the conditions and stuff. So you, you never climb with them again. And then in 2001, you go and climb the infinite spur. Yeah. Um, what was that trip like? Um, it seemed like you guys almost joked a little bit about kind of being the old guys. Oh yeah. And the lads, the, the old guys and the lads. Well, you know, it's kind of, there, there's been more than once. Well, Deborah, the East Ridge at Deborah and, uh, Hunter and Forky you go out these places that, you know, like, uh, I mean, that have hard, had no ascents or very, very few ascents. You know, at the time I did the Moonflower, I don't know how many cents it had had, but it was probably the most climbed, and maybe it had seven, eight, something like that. But, uh, and I'm not even sure of that, but uh, the Foraker had had two ascents, and this was in 2001 or 2000 that we went. And uh, it was 2000, and it had one other ascent. And we show up, and then there's another party on it. You know, going to the same place. Well, kind of the same place. They went to the same place because we advised them to go to the same place. That was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the old guys and the lads, you know, that was... Uh, and this, you know, I think this is a sensitive topic because uh, I know that uh, I've gotten some negative feedback uh, from one of the lads because, uh, you know, they, they made the mistakes of youth and were observed by the experience of, uh, of more maturity. And uh, that can make for some goddamn funny stories, you know. <laughs> and and uh, if some older guy had been watching me on my, like my first trip to Mount Deborah in 75, I mean, some of those stories, I'm sure they're funny to me now, but yeah. uh, I would have felt maybe, you know, I, I might have felt affronted if someone was telling those stories around the same town I lived in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they got up the fucking route. Yeah. You know, with, 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 with ex experience that led them to, I think, suffer more in, uh, in, in a storm that hit us than Barry and I suffered. I mean, we did not suffer. Yeah. I think they suffered. Yeah. If you were going to kind of wrap up that climb up uh, the infinite spur with Barry, what was, it, what was that experience like overall for you guys? <clears throat> Wonderful. It was, uh, you know, it's it's not an easy undertaking, uh, even if you can, you know, uh, practice a bit and climb the line in ten and a half hours. I think it, it it's it's not an easy undertaking because even doing that kind of ascent is uh, it takes a lot out of you, and and to do you know all of those. I mean, that's that's one way that. Uh, Climbers can, I guess you'd say the word, improve on a previous ascent is to do something in a, uh, you know, faster or uh, simpler, if you want to use that word. Um, but, you know, um, things can really go south uh, in the mountains. Uh, you know, it, things can go south on the nose, you know, on El Cap, which is uh, one of the most trudged trade routes in the world. Um, with with on good climbers, experienced climbers. So the, that the environment of climbing is um, it's it's always looking for a chance to be unforgiving. Yeah. You know, not actively looking. It's just you know one random thing, and there's no forgiveness on the other side of it. Carl's partnerships over the years, perhaps the most important is his friendship with Roman Dial. The two met in Fairbanks in the late 70s, and over the next decade would go on to form a potent climbing team in Alaska's Hayes Range and beyond. Since then, the two have remained close, both teaching at Alaska Pacific University and continuing to explore Alaska and other remote regions of the world together. I asked Carl to talk about his friendship with Roman and how that relationship has evolved over the last 40 years.
probably in 1977 or 78, uh, Roman Dial moved to town. Um, who, and he wasn't really a climber at that point. I know he had done some. So how did, did you, how did you guys meet or how did you guys connect? Uh, we were both sort of working out in the gym one day and he said, are you a climber? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And, and, and he said, yeah, I probably do some climbing and you guys just made plans to go try something. Well, I, th I think it was just, um, it, it couldn't have been, uh, too long after that, that, uh, when he, he was 19 and, uh, and maybe when I met him, he was maybe, uh, uh maybe beyond 17, but. It wasn't long after we met that we, uh, I wanted to do a face um, of a peak called 10-9-10 in uh, the Hayes Range, and uh, which is a really beautiful, wonderful climb. Um, and uh, I asked if he wanted to come with me. And, it was, and, it, and he went? He went. And did you guys climb it? We climbed it, yeah. Uh, first ascent of the face, second ascent of the peak. Um, uh, we flew in with Doug Geating and... Uh, skied out to Black Rapids. Maybe we can talk about your relationship with Roman a little bit back then too, because it, um, we've never really talked that much, but I mean, you know, I, I know about a lot of the climbs that you guys did back then and there were climbs that were, you know, inspiring to me and Carl and, you know, we'd read about that stuff and be like, oh, I wonder if we could go do something like that. So um, maybe talk a little bit about uh, some of the stuff you were doing with, with Roman and maybe your guys' partnership back then? Well, you know, um, Roman and I have both uh, matured over the years. Um, I think he found me hard to get along with, not because of me. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, Roman was, uh, he, he was, as a youth, he was, he was uh, quite strong-headed and impetuous. Um, as a matter of fact, once we, uh, we climbed a new route on uh, Hess Mountain, which is called, it's not Mount Hess, it's really Hess Mountain, I think, on the map. And uh, a great climb. One of, we had an awesome time on it, too. And, uh, you know, on the, on the way out, uh, oh, we, uh, you know, his impetuousness at the time was getting to me. And, uh, you know, I think we almost hiked out separately. Didn't quite do it, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, just <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, you know, uh, ten nine ten was uh, an over the top, uh, uh, smooth, great trip uh, from the beginning to the end. I mean, personal relationships uh, focused on anyway. You know, we had a harrowing bivouac in the middle of a face with avalanches just scouring over a really shallow little snow cave. You know. <laughs> Sitting up, uh, not not. It wasn't a snow cave, really. Our, our boots were getting hit by the avalanches, and uh, what an evening that was! You know, it was so nice to uh, uh, see the weather ease up in the morning and uh, allow us to finish climbing to the summit. Yeah, he's an incredibly tough person. Um, when uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, it may have been when we came out from Hess. Sometime on, on one of these trips where we'd fly in and do a climb and then uh, travel overland on the way out, I think he made this, uh, a switch flipped in him that uh, he, he would rather be traveling from one point to another across unknown with nothing as opposed to trying to climb peaks back yeah. then. But we stayed uh, quite close for some reason um, and then started doing some of those uh, bicycle, wilderness bicycle trips together which were, uh, and still are, like, kind of a hoot. Yeah. So you guys have been been buddies now for, what, 40 years? Yeah. Yeah, it's a long partnership, you know, friendship. Yeah, it is, yeah. That's it's really cool. We're, we're going to Peru together in nine days, so, you know, yeah. into the back beyond. So thinking back, I mean, is there a... Is there a, maybe back in those early days, and maybe you've already mentioned it, but is there a climb with Roman or an experience in the Hayes range that really sticks out for you? Um, pr probably the one that sticks out to me mostly was one later on in like in 87, when uh, uh, I was just a couple of years after a uh, 
pretty bad accident in, in, in the Hayes Range. And uh, we went with some other people into the Chittistone in, in December to climb a bunch of really big uh, ice formations. And uh, that, was, uh, that was a super, super good trip. You know, it wasn't an alpine climbing scene. Oh, well, I guess it was, because uh, on uh, two of the climbs, uh, we ended up uh, bivouacking twice on one of them. Wow. <laughs> and days were short, which yeah. were long. Yeah. And Chuck was along. <laughs> so, was that, uh, who, who's Com- so- Chuck Comstock, Okay, yeah. so who else was on that trip? Well, uh, a guy named Eric Breitenberger. Uh, I think on the second climb we did, it was uh, Eric and uh, Chuck and Roman and I, and on the first long climb was just Roman and Chuck and I, and Keith Echelmeyer and uh, Jeff Keener, current president, I believe, of the Alaska Alpine Club. He okay. Was, he was along, too. Cool. So what was, I mean, what was... Uh... For you, what was special about that trip? All, all the route, every damn big, huge route we did was completely pristine and new. And um, the fall before, uh, Roman had uh, hiked from Nebesna to McCarthy down the Chittistone. And, you know, he said, there are a lot of waterfalls up there when he came back, you know. <laughs> so we, we went in because uh, the word was out at that point, I guess. Yeah. And how'd you, how did you access that area? Uh, Keith uh, Echelmeyer uh, was a pilot. He had a 180 on, on uh, skis. So we kept the plane in there with us. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it was sweet. Cool. Um, so is that kind of the same area where, uh, that, that was the slideshow? Oh, that Dusty gave the slideshow on? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Same, same area? Same area, um, same climbs, really. Oh, cool. Uh, more or less, except the one they did on the way out. Uh, but you know, obviously, you know they went in in March and uh, seemed like a lot of sun rot on uh, yeah. some upper pitches then, and uh, yeah. we didn't have that problem in December. Yeah, and we could have had cold problems, of course. Yeah, I guess they had the cold problems in March too. But we, yeah, it was about teens or twenty the whole time we were in there. I guess just like r- r- wrapping up stuff about Roman. Um, what does your partnership with him mean to you? Like after all this time. Um, well, friendship, you know, uh, he and I have, uh, seen each other go through a lot. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know if we're, uh, we won't always be here for each other. One of us will die first, but, uh, we, uh, we, we get along We're we're good foils to each other. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh. Yeah, just seeing him lose a son has uh, done a lot uh, in my life to how I view uh, my son and my daughter, for sure. Uh, like, God, this could happen. And, and it, you know, just when, I mean, his son was not doing something most people would call normal, but uh, it seems normal to me, you know, just walking in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, and that... Uh, being, being so close to someone uh, like that who has, uh, you know, or, or to have someone so close to me uh, lose a son like that. I mean, I've, I've known people that have, I've had partner, climbing partners that have died, you know, quite a few. And uh, thinking about that, you know, it's, it's always hurt me. But I know it uh, hurt their parents more. It's, yeah, it's not the way it, it should be, but it's the way it sometimes is. He's he's an incredibly uh, strong person, and he has always been able to throw himself into his projects, whether that's work-related project or, uh, you know, uh, a quote-unquote fun-related project. Um, And, uh, yeah, I I think there's you you can't replace a chunk of your life like that, but um, you you, um, owe it to the person if the person was productive and and good and useful to uh, stay that way yourself. I was on my way home from the wide open road. I gave my heart, I gave my soul. I was on my way home. Now the time 
fades away Yesterday's like a setting sun I always used to find myself pretending I guess I was just young In talking with Carl, I was reminded again of my own relationships that I've formed in the mountains. The friends that I've made and the adventures we've had climbing have shaped me and given my life a deeper sense of meaning. Nothing can ever replace those experiences. Before we ended our conversation, I asked Carl where he sees the future of alpinism going and what adventures he might have on the horizon. Never spend much time asking directions I guess I was just young You know, a couple of people that recently died, like, uh, you know, Adamson and Dempster, those guys, I think, were approaching climbing the right way, trying to test yourself and um, trying not to extend beyond the limits that you have observed you might have, but knowing you might have to uh, play with those limits. And uh, everyone can, can do that, climbing, like, even if you've got a leg missing. You know, everyone can do that. So, you know, I, I think people that climb that way, like I'm testing myself, but that... Um, have a great respect for the environment they work in and know that experience is uh, something that you don't get in a year or two of climbing. You know, you might get really good. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, uh, you, you get a bad weather report and you get a bad weather report. And that might be one thing that's going on with climbing is, uh, especially in Himalayan climbing, and I think it's been useful for a lot of people to get, you know, satellite weather reports and sat phones and, you know, I know like Steve House's dad would always like get on the sat phone and tell him what was going on with the weather report and stuff. But uh, I think it's getting harder to make predictions about weather, especially in mountain uh, uh, environments as the uh, climate changes. The, I don't think the predictive models are as good. And I've always, <laughs> you know, anytime I've thought, you know, I, I've never gotten a weather report uh before going climbing much um, you know the closest I've done is just uh, having a little marine radio and uh, listening to uh, the NOAA robot telling yeah. me what the pressure was in the yeah. northern gulf and you know I think oh yeah the pressure's god it's th it's over 30 let's go you know I've done that before um, but uh, you know in terms of where climbing is going um you know, at the leading edge of it, I think it's going where it's always gone. Trying to do new stuff or uh, establish roots in, in your own personal style. You know, I like to see that there's some respect for the environment. Uh, there seems to be an ethic of that. Uh, what are the most important things, if you can think about it, that you've taken away that you can look at and say it's just it just means everything to me um well like you say you know you, you the people in my life that are uh acquaintances today and and the and the people in my in my life that are really good friends that i've known forever almost all of them uh stemmed uh, initially from climbing relationships and uh when i look back at them i've just been so lucky to meet these people that had so much more going on in their life or so much more ambition in their life beyond climbing that that stuff spilled over and uh like i'd probably still be a a climbing bum uh, i might someday still might be a bum someday but uh i, I never would have elevated a, a, above that level even temporarily except for some inspiration by People that wow, God, here's a person that's done all this climbing and they've got a, they have a career. You don't need to be a climbing bum to be a climber. Yeah. By any means, uh, it's alluring though to be a climbing bum for some of us. 
moving forward, maybe just even in your life, what's important to you today? My girlfriend is, you know, and my children. And uh, after that, you know, my dogs are, but they, they don't live very long. Uh, some friends are, you know, some friends I've mentioned uh, in this interview. Uh, all those people like Barry and, you know, other people I've mentioned that I don't see all the time, like I see Roman fairly frequently. Um, yeah, that's important. Do you have any climbing aspirations? Um, that, that's hard to say. You know, last winter uh, I, I did a little ice climb in Alan Klutna. Uh, went out there with Katie. You know, Katie. Katie seems like she's always, you know, uh, Katie Strong. She's always ready to go climbing somewhere. It seems yeah. like. And uh, we went to Ptarmigan uh, over a month ago now. I think I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was. Uh, so you know, uh, you know, and I'd like to go back up there, even even without the ice up there, and, and screech around a little bit. But I don't, uh, you know, so, someone like Katie will have to get me off my ass to do it, because uh, I'm even, even though uh, I was you know, kind of inspired just being up there, even though uh, everything looked really different up there with like no ice and uh, no no, there's no there was no snow, so I don't even know where the base of roots were, but. Uh, at this point, I, I don't have my own instigation. There's nothing is coming out of me internally, pushing me to uh, to climb roots. And it could be my life situation and this, that, and the other. You know, it's hard to leave town all the time when you have dogs and obligations and this, that, and you're worried about you know a house in the winter, this stuff and that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, I'll ever be as obsessed and you know I've accumulated a lot of injuries uh, shoulder injuries that uh, I'm sure I could climb hard for a little bit and then that night I I would suffer you know I've broken my clavicle a couple times in the last in recent years uh, hands are uh, I don't know may, maybe tweaked them in too many cracks you know or bashed them with too many ice tools uh, you know that sort of stuff you, you know you, you feel uh, you, f you can feel senescence when when you're uh, when you're me and my age, I don't know how long it is for other people feel it. <laughs> I took the long road, took the long road back to you. I wasn't blinded. I was looking for something to do High lonely mountain I hear you calling out my name All right, well thanks for hanging out with me today. I hope you got as much out of Carl's stories as I did, and I hope you can apply some of his alpine wisdom to your next trip in the mountains. Don't forget to review the podcast in iTunes or within your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Fernline email list at thefernline.com. And finally, if you enjoy the tunes you hear, you can check out more of my music on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp, and evanphillips.net. Until next time, I'm Evan Phillips, and this is The Fernline. I hear you calling out my name Somewhere out beyond the city Where life can get so strange But tonight We're gonna be alright In the morning We'll hang around from now on, well, I will understand you.
somewhere out beyond the city Where life can get so strange But tonight We're gonna be alright In the morning We'll hang around From now 